Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you so much, and we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christ, who, without his death, we would be doing worthless things. We thank you that it's very meaningful things because you made it so. And you redeemed us, you brought us here, and you've given us your word. God bless its, its reading. And Lord, may it be that you are exalted today and you are raised up and we know, know more and more about you that we might be able to follow you more. In Jesus' name, amen. I always counted a privilege when Stephen asked me to fill in for him while he's gone. He's away. Uh, he is at a pastor's conference, I think traveling today, actually. But uh, he will be up in Ohio, so be praying for him. Uh, I lived seven years up there. It's, uh, it's an okay place. Uh, that's all I'll say about it. Uh, but uh, be, be in prayer for him while he's away. I know this is kind of a bit of a respite for him, so... Uh, uh, has nothing to do with the fact that he's going without his kids. It just he, he needs to to get away, and uh, so that's a that's a good thing. And like I said, I counted a privilege. Uh, you know, this you know, I'm an elder here. For those of you who don't know you know me, my name is Mike Ferry. I, uh, we Anita and I have been here uh, really since the church began with with several other of you, and and uh, and this is always a fun time for me. Um, for centuries. The, the people of God have kind of struggled with an issue that I think has gone with us almost from the very beginning, as, as uh, back even into the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's, it's very familiar, I think, to us. Today, we would, we would call it a couple of different things. We would call it things like works-based salvation. Uh, we might call it uh, consumer Christianity. Uh, we may call it idolatry. We may call it legalism. Uh, we may call it scales-based. You know what I mean by that one? Where maybe my we have the scales here, and my good things will outweigh my bad things. So, so that that'll be. I just hope I, you hear the term. I just hope I'm good enough to get into heaven. I hope I've been good enough to get into. Those are those are things that have plagued really the church from the very very beginning. And uh, when it comes down to it, what I think most, if not all, of these are referring to is is right actions without a transformed heart. Keep that in your mind today as we're kind of walking along here. We're talking about a thing called right actions without a transformed heart because if we're doing the right thing without a transformed heart, really basically uh, uh, the, the Psalms would call it clanging cymbals. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not doing what, there's no joy in it, and there's really no worship in it. So uh, right actions without a transformed heart. Uh, that's not true just today. That, that, that goes all the way back, really. It goes back, if you start reading the book of Isaiah, if I did, a, if I did like a, a short, not 30,000 foot, but maybe 60,000 foot view of the book of Isaiah, we would see that the book of Isaiah starts off with God's retribution. And uh, it goes from God's indictment and his prophecies of deliverance. And no, I don't know these. They are written down here. Uh, judgment on the nations, his punishment and blessings, the woes chapters, we all are probably familiar, many of us, with the woes chapter where he says, woe to, and he'll name a city and, and tell what is going on there that is uh, 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 not pleasing to God, his vengeance, his blessings. And then around uh, chapter 40, you have to go all the way, the first 39 chapters are, are covered there in my few sentences, but the, the, in chapter 40, 
begins what is referred to typically as God's restoration, God's restoration of, of, of Israel. And the people in that passage are called over, or I say that passage starting about there, and, and we don't really, I mean, we'd have to read chapter and chapter and chapter of this to see all of these, but the people are called to draw near to God. They're called to worship. They're called to trust. They're called to listen, not just hear, but to listen. They're called to give credence. And the people responded actually pretty well for a, a few chapters. Along about chapter, I think it's 57 or 58, it starts to change. And a very interesting thing happens along, along about, I think it's chapter 58. The people are coming, and they're fasting, and they're worshiping, but the message to them is pretty much, I hate your fast, and I hate your worship. Now, he had called them just a few chapters over to that very thing, and now he's saying to them, that's, that's, I don't, that's, not, that's not what I want. This is not what I want. But we have to look at what the indictment then is that follows that, because he said, you do not esteem me. You do not, you've made this all about you. You've made this all, all about, all this stuff that you're doing is about you. It's not about me. And he, uh, he, he basically tells them in a, in a word that we would use today, he was, your heart's not in this. Your, your heart's not in this. You're just, you're just doing stuff. You're just, you're just going through the motions, as we might say. So let me ask you this. What's different today? Except we don't have Isaiah here to point it out for us. You know, there are times that you feel like that, that you, me, me, any of us are just, just going through the motions. And you see as it, as it goes along here, we go from the Old Testament then into the New Testament, and you see Jesus attacking this very thing over and over and over again, particularly with the Pharisees. And there's a, there's a, there's a great story. I... I uh, I've read it so many times now, I don't, my eyes would cross, I think, if I opened it up too closely. But uh, there's a great story that starts out in Luke chapter 14, and that's where we'll be hanging out. Okay, so if you guys want to be flipping over to Luke chapter 14, we'll start at verse 1, so just right there at the first of it. I've entitled this, uh, this message, since we like to do that now, uh, Don't Miss the Banquet. Don't Miss the Banquet. Uh, we'll look at uh, four matters that Jesus addresses, four heart matters, really, that Jesus addresses in Luke 14, verses 1 through 24. We'll look at uh, a heart without compassion. We'll look at a heart that is arrogant. We'll look at a heart that is selfish and self-absorbed. And we'll look at a heart fully satisfied at the banquet table. So what we'll do in this thing, because it's a narrative of, a, of, a, of an event, I'm just going to read a little bit and then stop. Okay, we'll just do some read-stop, read-stop stuff. And instead of trying to read all the way through it, it it'll, we'll, we'll, it'll, I'm afraid I'll lose you in, the, in, the, in all the stuff that's going on because it's several verses. It's more than, than what we would typically try to cover. So uh, don't get uh, frustrated with me if I just say a few words and then stop. Okay. 
Say, one Sabbath, just being on the Sabbath day, he went to dine, this, he is Jesus in this, at the house of ruler of the Pharisees. So, so hear the setting for this pretty quickly. We're talking about the ruler of the Pharisees, not just any old Pharisee, okay? This is a, this is a, a high-ranking Pharisee of Pharisees kind of thing at that time. And, and he had been invited to lunch on the Sabbath at, at the ruler of the Pharisees. And they were watching him carefully. That makes for a great lunch, doesn't it? You're going, I got something on my chin. You know, I mean, that's because they said they were watching him carefully. And then it says, and behold, that could just as easily be uh, translated as voila. And behold, there was a man. Let's see. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, dropsy, I didn't, I didn't know what dropsy is, okay? So I thought about calling Andrew, but I decided to appeal to a higher authority. So, so I Googled it. <laughs> and um, dropsy, the, probably the closest two ailments that we might have that, that, would, that, that would be related to this today might be some sort of renal failure or uh, congestive heart failure because what it, it is is a condition where you're apparently where your body would retain fluids and to the point where you, you would maybe be disformed. It would be a terrible uh, retention of, of fluids and it, it, quite frankly, it's one of the things that led to bloodletting as, as, because they were trying to get that, get that out. They were going kind of after the wrong thing, I think, but... Uh, nevertheless, it's, it, it was a, a, a very serious condition. And the problem with it was that, now here, remember our setting. We're at the home of the leader of the Pharisees, and dropsy would have been a condition that would have been deemed as unclean. Okay? Now, are you smelling a rat here? Okay, th this... this at this point in time, I think it's six or seven times that Jesus had healed people on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees had objected to it because he was working on the Sabbath. He was performing work on the Sabbath. And here it is, on the Sabbath day, invited to lunch, and right as you're getting there, a guy with dropsy just shows up. Now, clearly, the Pharisees are, are in this case, I, I assume the, the, they were together as a group on this, and because they were watching him closely, but they were going to, to try to trap Jesus basically into this same scenario where here he was presented with a person with a very serious Ill ailment on Sunday or on the Sabbath, and they were going to see what he would do. Would he heal him? And that way they could try an indictment on him again of working on the Sabbath, or would he not heal him? And he, Jesus, being... Uh, capable of healing him, but not doing so, he, they could accuse him of not being compassionate. So they, I'm sure they felt like, we got him. We've got him right here, boys. No matter which way he goes, we can, we can, we can really turn it up on him. So if we look what Jesus does here, it's, it's really quite remarkable. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. What's the next sentence? But they remained silent. Now, 
I don't know about this. I'm probably not the first person that's looked at this this way, but this may be the first time and maybe the last time in history that a bunch of lawyers and preachers have been in the same room and nobody was talking. Think, think about that. <laughs> All right. But they remained silent. Now, what in effect Jesus has done is he's taken their little trap and moved it back on them. Because if they say, no, it's not lawful for, for you to heal on the Sabbath, him being there and being able, they are showing no compassion. And if they say, yes, you can heal on the Sabbath, then they've just divided their own ranks and said that, that the law does not apply. You, you, you see how Jesus turned that around? I mean, it's a, it's a great, one of those things you don't think about, the kind of things, unless you're God in the flesh. And, but he just turned it right back on them. So let's, let's keep going here and see what he, see what he says about this. Uh, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. What Jesus just did was expose their heart in this situation, right? What he, he just was able to do there in just a few sentences or a few, few short actions is he was to say, what if it was your child? What if it was someone you cared very deeply about? What if it, what, what if it was your ability to feed your family? What if it was something that was going to impact your ability to make money? What if, it, what if it was a, you wouldn't be following your letter of the law so closely here? What if it was someone you cared about? This was Jesus' child, right? Worthy of being saved, worthy of being transformed, worthy of being healed. So he did so. And he just exposed a very interesting thing. He just exposed, you lack compassion. heart without compassion. Let's keep, let's keep moving because it gets a little better. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Okay, we don't have a great cultural context for what's going on in this, but, but uh, actually Anita and Matt and I were exposed to this when we went to China. Uh, they have a way of, in China, of if you're doing it, what they refer to as a banquet actually, uh, if you go into the thing, it's a round table. It actually has a thing in the middle that turns, and the food kind of turns, and you, you can pick your food as it goes around. And it, it's, it's round, but the person who is the person of honor, the, with the highest honor in the room, or the person who was giving the van banquet, he was to sit at the circle back facing the door. That was his, his seat. And then the next most important person would sit to his right, and the next to his left, and then third one over, fourth one over, you see what I mean? And they, they would work their way around this circular table. That's just, it was a cultural thing that, that we happened to see while we were over there. Now, in this setting, it wasn't a round table necessarily. It would have been a U-shaped table. And the, the host or the person with highest honor would sit at the very bottom in the middle of the U. 
and then it would be the same thing, you know, right next, left next, you know, and they would work their way around. But apparently there'd been some jostling going around along when, when everybody was getting ready to be seated. If you could imagine, you know, again, you've got a bunch of folks that are, that are used to being treated highly, let's put it that way, and they're jostling around for, okay, we know that Jim's going to be sitting here because this is his house, but I, I, I'm going to try for that seat on the right. And another one was saying, no, cut him off just a little bit, and I'm going to get this seat. No, well, okay, I'll get... And you can see that there were... There must have been quite a bit of, of just movement and, you know, guys trying to beat each other. It, it just apparently had been kind of a, 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 a I, I suspect, from Jesus' perspective, a quite amusing scene uh, going along, or sad scene. Maybe that's the better way to put it. But he says, he says to them, uh, uh, and he says to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. And when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone, let's hold off on that last verse because I think we need to stop right here. All right. Do you really think Jesus cared where everybody was sitting? Does it make sense that the triune God of the universe was, was concerned about which one was the honor seat? That makes sense, does it? Well, the secret of it it's verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He was concerned, about, once again, concerned about their hearts. He was looking at them and saying, you are so arrogant. You are so arrogant. You come into a room, and you start jostling around so you can get an honorable place to sit for dinner. Jesus is saying, you have, an, you have arrogant hearts. You, have, you, you are arrogant in your ways, you're, you lack compassion, and you're arrogant. But he goes on, and he says this. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So not only has he pointed out to them with this thing that you have an arrogant heart, but you also are inc incredibly self-serving. The only reason you're inviting somebody to dinner is because either they might invite you or you might be able to gain something from them down the road. You are selfish in your ways. You are self-serving by the things that you do. He's just attacked another heart position here, has he not? It really doesn't matter who's at the feast, right? It's a wedding feast. Let's, have, let's, let's, let's enjoy what God has done in the wedding feast. But no, they made it all about them. So we want to make sure we invite this guy 
because he might be a political help to them later on. I mean, you can invite this guy because, uh, you know, I'm, my, that's a, that guy's a, a big, big shot with my company, and I may be able to get a promotion. You see, that's, that doesn't happen today, right? At all? In the next 15 minutes? And then, guys, something happens that I have... I have struggled with it. It comes up here in the next couple of minutes because I, I, this, there's one guy there at the table. There's always one, right? Wait and see. There, there's, there's always one of these guys. You, listen out here. And he, and he just moves along here and he says to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be paid, repaid at the resurrection of the just. Then it says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Where did that come from? Am I, am I the only one that sees that as just an odd thing to say? It's like the guy had not heard anything that had been said. Jesus had just pretty much ruthlessly gone after them saying, you lack compassion, you're arrogant, you're selfish, and this guy comes up with this. I, it's one of those things, if I'm confused, I'm sure Jesus wasn't, but I'm going to need a little help from him on why this guy would do. It's just an out-of-place statement, or it seems like that to me. I could see maybe Luke, who wrote this, leaning over to John or Matthew or whoever was next to him going, did I just hear that right? What is, who is this guy? Anyway, off the subject. But Jesus, what he does is takes that and moves right into basically the culmination of this whole thing. So as he says to them, but he said to him, that being, meaning the, the odd guy, he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go to see it. Please have me excused. And another says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That one may be okay. Uh, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. So we see Jesus go from trapped to pointing back to these guys 
that it's a way of the heart that leads to proper treatment of the Sabbath. It's a way of the heart that treats the way that our, our, we, our minds uh, tend to be overwhelmed with our own specialness. It's the way of the heart that battles arrogance. It's a way of the heart that battles uh, the selfishness and self-absorbed things. It's the way of the heart. Got way ahead of myself. He's telling him in all this that there's, there's, a, there's a fantastic banquet that you're invited to. There's a fantastic. And all of us seem to have so many excuses on why we're not going to come. Jesus is pointing to the banquet table where we can draw near we can deal with the matters of our wicked hearts and we can be satisfied at the banquet table. <sighs> Stephen mentioned that last week, I think it was, and, and it might have been week four, but I think it was actually last week, and he, and he, he said something that, that kind of resonated with me, and I, and, and I so completely agree with him on this. He said, the uh, problem with a lot of Scripture is we don't think it's about us. And I, and I honestly think that there's a problem with this, this passage that, that it, for the most part, we'll read it and, and we think it really doesn't apply to us. Uh, Jerry Pierce, who's not here today, and Stan and I like to kind of poke at each other after messages that Steve has brought and say, man, I'm so glad you were here to hear that. And... Uh, <laughs> And it, while we're true about, there's, there's, what is it Steve says, if I'm pointing at you, I've got three pointing back at me. And that, that's kind of how all of us are in that. But uh, yeah, I was so glad you were here to hear that. Um, but Scripture tells us over and over again to examine ourselves. Examine our hearts. Examine the things about ourselves that are contrary to the things that we would like to be. Can I say it that way? You know, we have this image of ourselves that sometimes gets clouded with the image of what we want to be, and somehow we are able to extrapolate where we are actually are over to where we want to be and look at ourselves that way. But the Scriptures calls us, call us out to, to examine ourselves. Read, read Paul, read, read just about any book, and Paul will use the, the statement, examine yourselves. And sometimes that's a little bit difficult to do. And the reason I say that is because if we look at our own heart, the Scriptures also have told us in Jeremiah that the heart is exceedingly deceitful. So we can actually talk ourselves into things that we never, in, a, in, a, in another setting, dreamed that we would, we would be talked into. Particularly when it comes down to look at yourself, look at the things you say you believe and the things you do that betray you. I, I heard this list of things. I, it's actually a couple different times I've heard different lists about questions you can ask yourself that, uh, uh, and things you can do to help you examine yourself. So what I wanted to do after we talked about it's all about the heart here, I wanted to, to give us some practical guidance 
on how we can look into our own hearts and some ways that we can examine ourselves as Paul commanded us or that's the, that God commanded us to do through the Apostle Paul. This, is, this gets incredibly practical and incredibly personal. Okay, so, so let me just give you a few of them. The first question you may want to ask yourself is, do you have any real affection for God? I'm not, I'm not asking you, do you have a daily devotion or a quiet time or anything like that, but do the things of God stir your affection? Do the things of God, his, the beauty of creation, the beauty of a small child's laugh, do they stir your affection for God? The next one, and this one's kind of three in one, and I know that, but it's, it's, it's what do you do with the three T's? The three T's are your time, your treasure, and your talent. So if we say we believe all these things, and our calendar would betray us, something to think about, something to look at, something to examine ourselves on. If we say all of these things and we open up our... Used to, we'd say, we can look at your checkbook. We don't, nobody ever uses those anymore. So uh, if you open up your bank account and you look at your debit card transactions, would that betray the idea that Jesus is, is number one? Look at your talent. How do you use the things that God has given you? How do you use the, 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 the if you have the, the wonderful ability, I, I, guys, you, 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 I've known Mike Roney for over 20 years, okay, and I have a tremendous affection for Mike Roney and Lynn. Mike Roney is an incredibly talented musician, and he chose to use his talent to glorify God. That that just speaks volumes to me about the character of someone. The things that we have is our talent. If you're, if you're a great writer, write for God. If you're, if you're a great speaker, speak for God. If you're a great artist, paint for God. What do we do with our time? What do we do with our treasure? And what do we do with our talent? There's so much overlap in those, that's why I let left. And the last one is this. Do we truly love others? In, in the New Testament, what does it tell us about how they will know we are Christians? By our love. By our love. Let me get, let me get a little painful on this one too. The Pharisees in this thing were incredibly, we, we, we saw them and pointed out as incredibly self-serving, right? We only, they only invited this guy to, the, to the, the, the dinner because he might be able to help them. And the guy that's not important to them at all didn't get an invitation. So let me ask you this. Do, do you see people? And I, I don't mean that like something weird. I'm just saying, do you notice that there's a person? And would you agree with me that Christ died for that person? So what about today at lunch, the waiter or waitress that comes to your table? Did, did, 
Do you see that person as a person worthy of the love and mercy and grace of Christ? Do you see that person as, as someone that you, you can, one, just be nice to? What about the, uh, the guy that hands you the bag out the window with your, with your uh, Big Mac in it? I know it's not good for you, but it's not his fault. Uh, so, you know, is that, a, is that someone worthy of the grace of Christ? Think about I, I, I'm just asking you to think about these things. I, I, you know, I, I, we're not, you know us, we're not trying to take an offering. I'm not trying to start a new ministry. We're not, you know, this is not, I just want you to think about those things from the standpoint of what, Paul calls us to do when he says, examine yourselves. Examine your hearts. Examine your hearts that you might come to the banquet table. It kind of leads me into to the kind of the final thing here. There's, there's, a, there's this wonderful passage about the banquet table. And, and, and when our hearts are engaged at the banquet table that, that Jesus was talking about in this passage, Ultimately, there is where t satisfaction lies. Tommy read a passage from, from Ezekiel earlier. I'm going to reread it because in this context, I want you to hear this is this beautiful example of what I believe the banquet table, table is. Uh, for me personally, it's the be most beautiful example of the banquet table in Scripture. You may remember it, if you guys heard it earlier, if you were in the uh, Fundamentals of the Faith study, this is one of the, the, the uh, passages that, that we looked at. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25. Imagine being at the banquet table. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the banquet table. See, when God presses in, when God presses in, and you, you, you guys know this, it's just it's a work of the Spirit. Steve says this a lot. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The, when, that, when God presses in and he says to us, and I, when I say this, this is me. I can only talk about me on this one. But when God presses in and he's calling us to draw near and he's calling us to, 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 to move up to the table, when he's calling us to, to uh, look at something in our heart that, that we've been avoiding looking at, when, when he, when he gets, it, gets us to look at ourselves how we really are, I firmly believe that's when we're closest to the banquet table. My prayer today for, for all of us is that we don't miss it. 
we don't we don't miss the banquet. I'm going to pray, and then Mike, you want to start? Heading? Yeah. I'm going to pray, and I, I'm. I, I just I just one sojourner to others here. I just pray that today you think about some of these things. I pray that if 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 God lays it on your heart that that there's this thing and he's brought this up to you before through the spirit that you that needs to be kind of kind of dealt with. I pray that you'll spend some time thinking about it today. Maybe even take the first step. And if you ever want to talk to anybody, Scott's there, Charlie's here, I'm here. There's lots of other guys that that I know, ladies uh that would, would love to sit down and talk with you and 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 walk with you through some of these things. So so just grab one of us, you know, formally, informally, however you want to do that. But we'll we'll be hanging around. And if if you want to talk to somebody, let us know. Okay, that's 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 my invitation tonight or today. I'm not not. Uh, but I'm going to pray, and then then uh, Michael will play a little music for us to. Uh, be able to do some reflection, and then uh, I'll come up and dismiss us after that. Father, we love you so much. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is a banquet table, and we thank you that it is, it is fully complete and satisfaction rests there. As Tommy said earlier in his prayer, I thank you that you cleanse us. I thank you that uh, you give us a new heart. I thank you that you put your that you put your spirit in us, Lord. And I thank you for the hope that rests there. In Jesus' name.